Good evening, good morrow, and good morning. You know, after a, a wonderfully long and lengthy conversation with a close friend, I've decided that it's about time that we really start a wonderful book. I say wonderful, we are going to find out. It is The Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. Now, this isn't a book that I am familiar with, but it is one that I would like to be. It is approximately 246 pages, including an afterword, soft-covered. Interesting. Written for Sarah Virginia Redfield. And those who have insight those who will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth with knowledge. Daniel 12, 3-4 now, I'm certain I fucked that up, but that's okay. Because welcome to Hippie Queen Productions, where it need not be perfect, merely to be. Chapter 1. The Critical Mass. I drove up to the restaurant and parked, then leaned back in my seat and thought for a moment. Charlene... I knew would already be inside, waiting to talk to me, but why? I hadn't heard from her in six years, and why would she have shown up now, just when I had sequestered myself in the woods for a week? I stepped out of my truck and walked towards the restaurant. Behind me, the last glow of a sunset sank in the west and cast highlights of a golden amber across the west parking lot. Everything had been drenched an hour earlier by a brief thunderstorm, and now the summer evening had felt cool and renewed because of the fading light, almost surreal. A half moon hung overhead. As I walked, old images of Charlene filled my mind. Was she still beautiful? Intense? How would time have changed her? And what was I to think of this manuscript that she mentioned? This ancient artifact found in South America that she couldn't wait to tell me about. I have a two-hour layover at the airport. She had said on the telephone, Can you meet me for dinner? You're going to love this, what this manuscript says. It's just your kind of mystery. My kind of mystery. What did she mean by that? Inside, the restaurant was crowded. Several couples waited tables. When I found the hostess, she told me that Charlene had already been seated. And directed me towards a terraced area above the main dining room. I walked up the steps and became more aware of a crowd of people surrounding one of the tables. The crowd included two policemen. Suddenly, the policemen turned and rushed past me down the steps, and as the people dispersed, I could see past them to a person who was sitting to me at the center of the attention. A woman, still seated at the table. Charlene? I quickly walked up to her. Charlene, what's going on? Is everything wrong? 
She tossed her head back in a mock expiration and stood up, flashing her famous smile. I noticed that her hair was perhaps different, but her face was exactly as I remembered. Small, delicate features, wide mouth, and huge blue eyes. You wouldn't believe it, she said, pulling me into a friendly hug. I went to the restroom, and a few minutes ago, while I was gone, someone stole my briefcase. What was in it? Nothing of importance. Just some books, magazines I was taking along for the trip. It's crazy. People at the other tables told me they just walked in, picked it up, and walked out. They gave the policeman a description. The officer said they would search the area. Maybe I should help them look. No, no, let's forget about it. I don't have much time, and I want to talk with you. I nodded, and Charlene suggested that we sit down. A waiter approached, so we looked over the menu and gave him our order. Afterwards, we spent 10-15 minutes just chatting in general. I tried to underplay my self-imposed isolation, but Charlene picked up on my vagueness, and she leaned over and gave me that smile again. So what's really going on with you? She asked. I looked at her eyes, the tense way she was looking at me. You want the whole story immediately, don't you? Always. Well, the truth is, I'm taking some time for myself right now. Staying at the lake. I've been working hard, man. I'm thinking about changing this direction in my life. I remember you talking about the lake. I thought you and your sister had to sell it. Not yet. But the pro- problem is the property taxes. Because the land is so close to the city, the taxes keep increasing. She nodded. So what are you going to do next? I don't know. Something different. She gave me an intriguing look. Sounds as if you're restless as everyone else. I suppose. I said, what do you ask? It's in the manuscript. There was silence as I returned her gaze. Tell me about this manuscript. I said. She leaned back in her chair and gathered her thoughts, then looked me in the eye again. I mentioned on the phone, I think, that I left the newspaper several years ago and joined a research firm that investigates cultural and demographic changes in the UN. My last assignment was actually in Peru. While I was there, completing some research at the University of Lima, I kept hearing rumors about an old manuscript that had been discovered, only no one would give me any details. Not even anyone at the Department of Archaeology or Anthropology. And when I contacted the government about it, they denied any knowledge whatsoever. One person told me the government was actually working to suppress the document for some reason. Although, again, he had no direct knowledge. You know me. She continued, I'm curious. And my assignment was over. I decided to stay around for a couple days to see what I could find. And at first, every lead that I pursued turned out to be a dead end. But then, while I was eating lunch in some cafe outside Lena... I noticed a priest watching me, and a few minutes later, he walked over and admitted that he had heard me inquiring about the manuscript earlier in the day. He wouldn't reveal his name, but he agreed to answer all of my questions. She hesitated for a moment, still looking at me intensely. He said the manuscript dates back to almost 600 BC, and it predicts a massive transformation in human society. Beginning when? I asked. In the last decades of the 20th century. Now. Yes, now. And what kind of transformation is it supposed to be? I asked. She looked embarrassed for a moment and then with force said, The priest told me 
it's a kind of renaissance in consciousness occurring very slowly. It's not religious in nature, but it's spiritual. We're discovering something new about human life on this planet and what our existence means. And according to the priest, this knowledge will after will alter human culture dramatically. And she paused again, then added, The priest told me that the manuscript is divided into segments or chapters, each devoted to a particular insight into life. The manuscript predicts that in this time, human beings will begin to grasp these insights sequentially. One insight, then another. And as we move from where we are now to a completely different spiritual culture on earth. And I shook my head and raised an eyebrow cynically. Do you really believe all of this? Well, she said, I think. Look around, I interrupted, pointing to the room sitting below us. This is the real world. Do you see anything changing out there? And just as I said that, an angry remark erupted from the table near the far wall, a remark that I couldn't understand, but which was as loud to hush the entire room. And at first I thought the disturbance was another robbery, but then I realized that it was only an argument. A woman, appearing to be in her 30s, was standing up, staring indignantly at a man seated across from her. No, she yelled. The problem is that this relationship is not happening the way I want it. Do you understand? It's not happening. She composed herself, tossed her napkin on the table, and walked up. Charlene and I stared at each other, shocked that the outburst had occurred at the very moment we were just discussing the people below us. And finally, Charlene nodded toward the table where the man remained alone and said, It is the real world that's changing. How? I asked, still a bit off balance. The transformation is beginning with the first insight, and according to the priest, the insight always surfaces unconsciously at first, as profound as a sense of restlessness. Restlessness? Mm Mm-hmm. What are we looking for? Well, that's just it. We really aren't sure. According to the manuscript, we're beginning to glimpse an alternate kind of experience. Moments in our lives that feel different somehow, more intense and inspiring. But we don't know what this is or how to make it last. And when it ends, we're left feeling dissatisfied and restless with life. It seems ordinary again. You think the restlessness was behind that woman's anger? Yes. I think she's just like the rest of us. We're all looking for more fulfillment in our lives, and we won't put up with anything that seems to just bring us down. This restless searching is what's behind the me-first attitude that's characterized the recent decades, and it's affecting everyone, from Wall Street to street gangs. She looked directly at me. And when it comes to relationships, we're so demanding that we're making them near impossible. Her remark brought back the memory of my last two relationships. Both began intensely and within a year had failed. I focused on Charlene again. She was waiting patiently. What exactly are we doing to our romantic relationships? I asked. I talked with the priest for a long time about this, she replied. He said that when both partners in a relationship are overly demanding, when they expect each other to live his or her world, to always be there to join in his or her chosen activities, the ego battle inevitably develops. And with that, she struck home. 
My last two relationships had indeed disintegrated into power struggles. In both situations, we found ourselves in a conflict of agendas where the pace became too fast and we had too little time to coordinate our different ideas about what to do and where to go or what to pursue. And in the end, the issue of who would lead or who would determine the direction of the day became an irresolvable difficulty. Because of this control battle, Charlene continued. The manuscript says that we'll find it very difficult to stay with the same person for any length of time. That doesn't sound very spiritual, I said. Well, that's exactly what I told the priest, she replied. He said to remember that most of society's recent ills can be traced back to restlessness and searching, that this problem is temporary and will come to an end. We're finally becoming conscious of that and what we're actually looking for, of what this or other more fulfilling experiences really are. When we really grasp it fully, we've attained the first insight. Our dinner arrived, so we paused for several minutes as the waiter poured more wine and tasted each other's food. And when she reached across the table to take a bite of the salmon from my plate, salmon wrinkled. Charlene wrinkled her nose and giggled, and I realized how easy it is to be with her. Okay, I said. What's this experience that we're looking for? What is the first insight? She hesitated as though unsure on how to begin. And it's hard to explain, she said. But the priest put it this way. He said the first insight occurs when we become conscious of the confidence in our lives. She leaned toward me. Have you ever had a hunch or intuition concerning something you wanted to do? Some course you wanted to take in your life and you wondered how it might happen. And then after you'd forgotten about it or focused on other things, you suddenly were met with someone or read something or went somewhere that actually led to the thing you envisioned? Well, she continued, according to the priest, these coincidences are happening more and more frequently and that when they do, they strike us as beyond what would have been expected by pure chance. They feel destined as though our lives had been guided by some unexplained force. The experience induces a feeling of mystery and excitement. As a result, we feel more alive. The priest told me that this is the experience that we've glimpsed, and now we're trying to manifest it all the time. More people every day are convinced that this mysterious movement is real, and that it means something, and that something else is going on beneath everyday life. This awareness is the first insight. And she looked at me expectantly, but I said nothing. Don't you see? She asked. The first insight is the reconsideration of the inherent mystery that surrounds our individual lives on this planet. We are experiencing these mysterious coincidences, and even though we don't understand them yet, we know that they're real. We're sensing them again, as in childhood, that there is an other side of life that we have something that we have yet to discover, some other process operating behind the scenes. Charlene was leaning further and further towards me, gesturing with her hands as she spoke. You're really into this, aren't you? I asked. I can remember a time, she said sternly, when you talked about these kinds of experiences. Her comment jolted me. She was right. There had been a period in my life when I was indeed experienced in such coincidence and had even tried to understand them psychologically, though somewhere along the way my view had changed. 
I've begun to regard such perceptions as immature and unrealistic for some reason, and I stopped even noticing. I looked directly at Charlene and said defensively, I was probably reading Eastern philosophy or Christian mysticism at the time. That's what you remember anyway. That's what you're calling the first insight, what they've been writing about many times, Charlene. What's different now? How is a perception of a mysterious occurrence going to lead to a cultural transformation? Charlene looked down at the table for an instant and then looked back at me. Don't misunderstand, she said. Certainly, this consciousness has been experienced and described before. In fact, the priest made a point to say that the first insight wasn't new. He said individuals have been aware of these unexplained coincidences throughout history and that this has been the perception of many great attempts at philosophy and religion. But the difference now lies in the numbers. According to the priest, transformation is occurring now because of the numbers, the number of individuals having this awareness all at the same time. What does he mean exactly? I asked. He told me that the manuscript says a number of people who are conscious of such coincidences would begin to grow dramatically in the sixth decade of the 20th century. He said that this growth would continue until sometime near the beginning of the following century, when we would reach a specific level of such individuals, a level I think of as critical mass. The manuscript predicts, she went on, that once we reach this critical mass, the entire culture will begin to take on these coincidental experiences seriously. We will wonder in mass what mysterious processes underlie human life on this planet, and it will be this question asked at the same time by enough people that will allow other insights to also come into consciousness. Because, according to the manuscript, when a sufficient number of individuals seriously question what is going on in life, we will begin to find out and other insights will be revealed, one after another. She paused to take a bite of food. And when we grasp these other insights, I asked, then the culture will shift? Well, that's what the priest told me, she said. I looked at her for a moment, contemplating the idea of this critical mass, and then said, You know, all of this sounds awfully sophisticated, for a manuscript written in 600 BC. I know, she replied. I raised the question myself. But the priest assured me that the scholars who first translated the manuscript were absolutely convinced of its authenticity, mainly because it was written in Aramaic, the language which most, which most of the Old Testament was written. Aramaic, in South America. How on earth did it get there in 600 BC? The priest didn't know. Does his church support the manuscript? I asked. No, she said. He told me that most of the clergy were bitterly trying to suppress the manuscript. That's why he couldn't tell me its name, nor his. Apparently, talking about it was very dangerous for him. Did he say why most of the church officials were fighting against it? Yes, because it challenges how the churches complete, complete their religion. No, I don't know exactly. He didn't discuss it much, but apparently the other insights extend into some of the traditional ideas in a way that alarms church elders who think that things are fine the way they are right now. I see. The priest did say, Charlene went on, 
that he doesn't think the manuscript undermines any of the church's principles. If anything, it clarifies exactly what is meant by those spiritual truths. And he felt strongly that the church's leaders would see this fact if they would try to see the new life as a mystery again and then proceed through the other insights. Did he tell you how many insights there were? No. But he did mention the second insight. He told me it's a more correct interpretation of recent history, one that further clarifies the transformation. Did he elaborate on that? No, he didn't have the time. He said he had to leave to take care of some business, and we agreed to meet back at that house this afternoon. But when I arrived there, he wasn't there. I waited three hours, and he still didn't show up. And finally, I had to leave to catch my flight home. You mean you weren't able to talk with him anymore? That's right. I never saw him again. And you never received any confirmation about the manuscript from the government? None. And how long did this take place? Mm, about a month and a half ago. For several minutes, we ate in silence. Finally, Charlene looked up and asked, So what do you think? I, I don't know, I said. Part of me remained skeptical at the idea that human beings could really change. But the other part of me was amazed to think that a manuscript which spoke of these things might actually exist. Did did he show you a copy or anything? No. All I have is my notes. And again, we were silent. You know, she said, I had thought you would be really excited by these ideas. I looked at her. I guess I need I need some proof that this manus of what this manuscript says that it's true. She smiled broadly again. What? I asked. That's exactly what I said too. To whom? The priest? Yeah. What did he say? He said that experience is the evidence. What did he mean by that? Well, he meant that our experience validates that the manuscript says... When we truly reflect on how we feel inside, on how our lives are proceeding at this very point in history, we can see that the ideas in the manuscript make sense, and that they ring true. Does, does that make sense to you? And I thought for a moment, does it make sense? Is everyone as restless as me? And if so, does our restlessness result from the same simple insight, the same simple awareness built up over... 30 years, or is there more to life than we know, more than we can experience? I'm not sure, I finally said. I guess I need some time to think about it. I walked out to the garden beside the restaurant and stood behind the cedar bench facing the fountain. To my right, I could see the pulsating lights at the airport. I could hear the roaring engines of the jets ready for takeoff. What beautiful flowers, Charlene said from behind me as I turned to see her walking toward me from the walkway, admiring rows of petunias and begonias which bordered the seating area. She stood beside me and I put my arm around her. Memories flooded my mind years ago when we'd both lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, when we spent regular evenings together, talking. Most of our discussions were about academic theories and psychological growth, We'd both been fascinated by the conversations of each other. 
And yet, it struck me how platonic our relationship had always been. I can't tell you, she said. How nice it's been to see you again. I know, I replied. Seeing you bring back so many memories. I wonder why we didn't stay in touch, she asked. Her questions took me back again, and I recalled the last time that I saw Charlene. She was telling me goodbye at my car. At the time, I felt full of new ideas and was departing from my hometown to work with severity against abused children. I thought I knew how much children could transcend the intense reactions, the obsessive acting out that kept them from going on with their lives. But as time had progressed, my approach failed. I had to admit my ignorance. How humans might liberate themselves from their paths still seemed like an enigma to me. Looking back over the previous six years, I felt sure of the experience and that it was worthwhile. Yet I also felt the urge to move on. To where? To do what? I thought of Charlene only a few times and how she'd helped crystallize my ideas of childhood trauma and how now here she was again, back in my life. And her conversation felt just as exciting as before. I guess I genuinely got totally absorbed in my work, I said. So did I, she replied. At the paper, it was just one story after another, and I didn't have time to look up. I almost forgot about everything else. I squeezed her shoulder. You know, Charlene, I had forgotten how well we talked together, how our conversation seemed so easy and spontaneous. Her eyes and smile confirmed my perception. I know, she said. Conversations with you give me so much energy. I was about to make another comment when Charlene stared past me towards the entrance of the restaurant. Her face grew anxious and pale. What's wrong? I asked, turning to look in the direction. Several people were walking towards the parking lot, talking casually, but nothing seemed out of the ordinary, and I turned to see Charlene's face again. She appeared alarmed and confused. Over there by the first row of cars, did you see the, the man in the gray shirt? And I looked towards the parking lot again. Another group was exiting through the door. What man? I guess he's not there now, she said, straining to see. She looked directly into my eyes. When the people at the other tables described the man who stole my briefcase, they said he had thinning hair and a beard and wore a gray shirt, and I think I just saw him over there by the cars, watching us. A knot of anxiety formed in my stomach. I told Charlene I would be right back and walk to the parking lot to look around, careful not to go too far away. I saw no one who fit the description. When I returned to the bench, Charlene took a step closer to me and said, Do, do you suppose that this person thinks that I have a copy of the manuscript? That's why he took my briefcase? He's trying to get it back. I don't know, I said. But we're going to call the police again and tell them what you saw. I think they might have to, ought to check on the passengers on your flight. We walked inside and called the police, and whom, when they arrived, informed us of what occurred. They spent 20 minutes checking on each car and explained to them that they could invest no more time. 
They did agree to check all the passengers boarding the plane that Charlene would be on, though. After the police left, Charlene and I found ourselves standing alone again by the fountain. What were we talking about anyways? She asked, before I saw the man. Well, you're talking about us, I replied. Charlene, why did you think to contact me about all this? She gave me a perplexed look. When I was in Peru, the priest was telling me about the manuscript. You kept popping into my mind. Oh, yeah? I didn't think too much about it then, she continued. But later, after I returned to Virginia, every time I would think of the manuscript, I would think of you. And I started to call several times, but I would always get distracted. Then I received this assignment in Miami, and here I am, headed to now, and I discovered that as soon as I had boarded the plane, I had to lay over here. When I landed, I looked up your number. Your answering machine said to contact you at the lake only in case of an emergency. But I decided it would be okay to call. I looked at her for a moment, unsure of what to think. Of course, I finally replied. I'm glad you did. Charlene glanced at her watch. It's getting late. I get. Her, I better get back to the airport. I'll drive you, I said. We drove to the main terminal and walked towards the embarkment areas. I watched carefully for anything unusual, and when we arrived, the plane was already boarding and one of the policemen we had met was observing each passenger. When we approached him, he told us that he, observed, he had observed everyone scheduled to board and no one fit the description of the thief. We thanked him, and after he left, Charlene turned and smiled. I guess I'd better go, she said, reaching out to hug my neck. Here are my numbers. Let's keep in touch this time. Listen, I said. I want you to be careful. If you see anything strange, call the police. Don't worry about me, she replied. I'll be fine. For an instant, we looked deeply into each other's eyes. What are you going to do about this manuscript? I asked. I don't know. Listen for news reports about it, I guess. What if it's suppressed? She gave me another one of her full smiles. I knew it, she said. You're hooked. I told you you'd love it. What are you going to do? I shrugged. See if I can find out more about it. Good. If you do, let me know. We said goodbye again and she walked away. I watched as she turned once, waved, then disappeared down the boarding corridor. I walked toward my truck and drove back to the lake, stopping only for gas. When I arrived, I walked out to the screen porch and sat in one of the rockers. The evening was loud with crickets and tree frogs in the distance, and I could hear a whip or roll. Across the lake, the moon had sunk and the tower was west. Across the lake, the moon had sunk lower in the west and sent a ripple line of reflection towards me on the water's surface. The evening had been interesting, but I was still skeptical about the whole idea of cultural transformation. Like many people, I had been caught up with the social idealism of the 60s and 70s and even in spiritual interests of the 80s, but it was hard to judge what was really happening. What kind of new information could possibly alter the entire human world? That all sounded too idealistic and far-fetched. After all, humans had been alive on this planet for a long time. Why would we suddenly gain insight into existence 
at this late date. I gazed out at the water for a few more minutes and turned off the lights, went to the bedroom to read. The next morning, I woke suddenly with a dream still fresh in my mind. For a minute or two, I stared at the bedroom ceiling, remembering it fully as though I had been making my way through a forest, searching for something. The forest was large and exceptionally beautiful. In my quest, I found myself in a number of situations of which I felt totally lost and bewildered, unable to decide how to proceed. Incredibly, though, at each end of these moments, a person would appear out of nowhere, as though by design to clarify where I would need to go next. I never became fully aware of the object of my search, but the dream left me feeling incredibly upbeat and confident. I sat up and noticed a beam of sunlight coming through the window across the room. It sparkled with suspended dust particles. I walked over and pulled back the curtain. The day was radiant. Blue sky, brilliant sunshine. A stiff breeze gently rocked the trees. The lake would be rippled and glistening at this time of day, and the wind chilly against the summer's wet skin. I walked outside and dove in. I surfaced and swam out to the middle of the lake, turning on my back to look back towards the familiar mountains. The lake rested deep in a valley where the mountain ridges converged, the perfect late site discovered by my grandfather in his youth. It had now been a hundred years since he had first watched these ridges as a child explorer, a prodigy growing up in a world that was still, still wild with cougar and boar and creek Indians that lived in the primitive cabins up in the North Ridge. He had sworn at that time that one day he would live in this perfect valley with the massive old trees and seven springs and finally, later to build a lake in a cabin and talk with, take countless walks with a young grandson. I never quite understood my grandfather's fascination with this valley, but I always tried to preserve the land, and even when the civilization encroached, protect it. From the middle of the lake, I could see a particular rock outcropping near the crest of the North Ridge. The day before, in the tradition of my grandfather, I had climbed to that overhang and tried to find some peace of the view and in the smells of the way of the wind as they whirled up across the tree tops. And as I had sat there surveying the lake in the dense foliage of the valley below, I slowly felt better, as if the energy and the perspective were dissolving some block in my mind. And a few hours later, I'd been talking with Charlene, hearing about the manuscript. I swam back and pulled myself up on the wooden pier in front of the cabin. I knew all of this was too much to believe. I mean, here I was hiding out in these hills, feeling totally disenchanted from all of my life, when out of the blue, Charlene shows up and explains that the cause of my restfulness, quoting some old manuscript with promises of some secret aspect to human existence. Yet, I know that Charlene's arrival was exactly the sort of coincidence that the manuscript spoke of, one that seemed too unlikely to be of mere chance. Could this ancient document be correct? Have we slowly been building, in spite of our denial and cynicism, to a point of critical mass of consciousness? Were humans now in a position to understand that this phenomenon, and thus finally to understand the purpose behind life itself? What, I wondered, would this new understanding be? Would the remaining insights of the manuscript tell us, as the priest had said? You see, I've faced a decision. 
Because of the manuscript, I now felt a direction in my life, a new point of interest, a question of what to do now. I could remain here, or I could find a way to explore further. The issue of danger entered my mind. Who had stolen Charlene's briefcase? Was it someone working to suppress the manuscript? How could I know? I thought about the possible risk for a long time, but finally my mood of optimism prevailed, and I decided not to worry, that I would be careful and I would go slowly. I walked inside and called the travel agency with the largest and ad in the yellow pages. The agent whom I spoke with said he could indeed arrange a trip to Peru. And in fact, by chance, there was a cancellation that I could fill. A flight with a reservation already confirmed in the hotel in Lima. I could have the whole package at a discount. He said if I could leave in three hours. And that will conclude chapter one of the Celestine Prophecy. Ladies and gentlemen, that was intriguing. My curiosity has peaked. I'm fascinated. I definitely immediately have theories. But I'm excited to find out what unfolds. Unfolds. Sorry, that old accent kicking in. Let's see. Be well. Be blessed. And continue to be magnanimously beautiful. As we embark on this new literary series, this reading, keep an open mind. Relax. And maybe we'll find something lost and hidden. Hey, thank you for joining us and making it this far in our podcast. Remember that if you want feedback or engagement, or likewise, if you would like to contribute to the content that we create here at Hippie Queen Productions, head over to our Facebook page. Reach out, message us, let us know what you want to see and what kind of things you'd like to engage with. Remember as well that if you're curious, if you want to learn and grow on an esoteric or educational level, we host and teach courses over at howlingwindswellness.com and over on our website, hippiequeenproductions.com. Love you, beautifuls, so much. You really are the reason that we get to do this. We appreciate your time just listening. Be well and be blessed.